Exodus chapter 7, starting in verse 8. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Work a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh, and thus they did, just as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron threw his staff down before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called for the wise men and the sorcerers, and they also, the magicians of Egypt, did the same with their secret arts. For each one threw down his staff, and they turned into serpents. But Aaron's staff was swallowed up. Pardon me. Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. It's important that you get that right. <laughs> Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. First off this morning, I just want to uh, offer a quick word about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart that we see for about the third or fourth time in the book of Exodus as we come to this passage today. Exodus does not explain the mechanics of God's hardening of Pharaoh's heart, but it clearly tells us that he does it, and it clearly tells us the reason why. God clearly hardens Pharaoh's heart, and God clearly does it for the purpose of his glory. In fact, to multiply his glory. So what I've done this morning is uh, I've included an extra insert for you. You've got that extra page. I'm not going to read that to you. That is just there for your own thoughts. I know that as we work our way through Exodus, we're going to see about 10 or 15 times this mention of the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And we may do a deeper dive at some point. I don't know. Could be myself. Could be one of the other men. But I wanted to at least, uh, at least give you something to chew on this morning to take with you so that it wasn't like we just kept sort of like passing the buck to the next dude and it's like, oh, yeah, Kevin will talk about this, you know, and, uh, and, and then leave it there for you. So uh, I hope that you find this extra insert helpful. If this, if this idea of God's sovereignty and the hardening of Pharaoh's heart and what that might mean and what it maybe doesn't mean, if that for you has never been anything that's been a burden or a question or anything that's bothered you, then great. You don't have to read that if you don't want to. Just know that God really is God. And that means He can do whatever He wants to do. That leaves for us to ask some very important questions about the mechanics and what it might mean. But if nothing else this morning I want to seize on this simple idea, the Lord Himself answers to no one. He is sovereign. With a capital S, right? I just can't think of a better word than that. He has imperium. He reigns over everything, period. And he does what he wants, and no one can question him. Doesn't mean we shouldn't search the word, ask hard questions, and seek out wisdom in understanding what it means. Not only, though, does it mean that he is sovereign, it means that he is truly all-wise, at the end of the day, there are so many things I sure can't figure out about God. And over the years, I think, by the grace of God, I've come up with maybe some slightly better questions. Standing on the shoulders of giants, you can look tall and ask better questions. But at the end of the day, it comes back to the fact that he is not only sovereign, but he is good. He is all wise, and he knows exactly what he is doing for his purposes in his economy in all that he does. The goodness of God ultimately then is also our good 
And that performs or that, that serves as a lead-in to what I think we should take away from this passage this morning. In this prequel to the plagues, what is our encouragement? It is that the sovereign good Yahweh is at work. First, first our encouragement is this, to find the source of glad obedience. Find the source of glad obedience. We've moved into a new phase in the life of Moses. What does that mean, a new phase? Well, go back and focus closely on what we have in verse 10. So Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh like they were told, and thus they did just as the Lord had commanded. It would be easy to gloss over those words because God says stuff and then his servants do stuff, and that's kind of how the Bible works, at least until you get to the book of Jonah, you know, and there's a couple other sort of semi-famous examples, right? We think of Moses as the great Moses, but we need to understand the, the, the slow transformation of Moses, the subtle but profound transformation. Brian has done a great job of alluding to that transformation that was needed in the previous chapters. He wasn't a man whom God spoke, and Moses is like, okay, let's get him, right? Not exactly. Back up just a bit to verse 6. There, after the Lord had spoken prior to this moment, we have the same kind of thing. So Moses and Aaron did it. The it is all that God commanded. I won't read over. As the Lord commanded them, thus they did. The Hebrew there has this repetition of the idea, just as God commanded. It didn't just say, and they did it. Or it says, and they did it just as God commanded. There's an, an emphasis here, and I think for a reason, because if you stop and think about it, what is it that's gone before? If you want, you can, you can flip with me to these passages, or you can just jot down these verses, but I'm just going to do a, a quick cruise uh, across several verses just to remind you of where we are in the story, okay? Where was Moses in his relationship with God uh, the first time we really see him come face to face? Answer, he was in that place of excuses, and that's what you can write down, excuses. Here you go, 311. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Again, 3.13, Moses said to God, behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel. I will say to them, the God of your fathers sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Chapter 4, verse 1, all of this is at the burning bush. 4.1, Moses said, what if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? 4.10, Moses said to the Lord, please, Lord, I've never been eloquent neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Four excuses mark Moses' interaction with God at the burning bush, the God of fire, a dude who will make excuses at that moment, is a dude who's got some deep-seated fears going on in his life. Now, by the way, I would give him some credit if he grasps just a little bit of, of the, the magnitude of the task, that there's good reason to be afraid. I'm going to go talk to who? To do what? When? How's that going to go? Are you sure you want me? I mean, four really decent excuses at some level. But excuses is what we find. Then his second phase, partial obedience, as Brian has faithfully indicated for us. Chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, blah, blah. Sounds good, right? Moses, Aaron, went to Pharaoh. Except if you 
paid attention and took good notes, you know there's a problem. Because back in chapter 3, verse 18, God specifically told Moses, you and the elders of Israel will go to Pharaoh. And that's missing. By itself, I wouldn't make a mountain out of a molehill, but it's part of a bigger pattern. Look down in verse uh, 3 of chapter 5. There at the end. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And here's the problem. They add these words. Otherwise, he will fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. So far as we know, those words Yahweh never spoke to Moses. Those seem to be in addition. Is it dangerous to disobey and come short of the word of God? Yes. Is it any less dangerous to add to the word of God? No, not any less dangerous. So we have a partial obedience. Then comes the question, season of his life, chapter 5, verse 22. Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? these people? This is after Pharaoh and the taskmasters attack those people. They take away the straw and yet still demand just as much brick. Why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done harm to this people. You have not delivered your people at all. I think there's a genuineness. I think there is a psalm-like pleading with God that is exceedingly godly in this. Moses is learning to be an intercessor, coming to God on behalf of the people. But make no mistake, he is still at this point just at the point of questions. Lord, why did you even do it? Why did you do it this way? And why did you do it with me? But now, chapter 7, verse 2. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother shall speak to Pharaoh. You know what we're going to see from this point forward? There will be a couple glitches, but they will be very, very few and very, very far between in the life of Moses. Something has happened from chapters 3 and 4 through 5 and 6 now to the beginning of 7. And I think it's very clearly reiterated by the author here as he emphasizes, so Moses and Aaron did what God commanded just as it was that he commanded them, so they did it just like that. That's my expanded English translation. Okay. And so it gives us good reason, since I believe this is an emphasis in the text and of the Spirit of God, to pause and ask the question, what is it then that causes us to be like the the earlier Moses and not the later Moses. What is it then for us that may get in the way of our obedience? At some level, and John Piper has said this well, at some level, whenever there's sin, there's always some matter of suspicion, some level of suspicion that maybe the Lord isn't really good, or maybe the Lord's goodness isn't really what is most in my interest, what is best for me. You want some added proof of that? Just consider what Satan said to Eve in the garden. What did he do? He encouraged her to question the goodness of God and the wisdom of obedience. Did he really say? I mean, he said you guys could have all this stuff, but why wouldn't he let you eat from that tree right there? Because he knows that you will know. And of course, knowing is good. I wonder why he'd withhold that from you, Satan is saying, through his sneaky little teeth. Suspicion. The question really for us is this, do you and I know the Lord is good? In our bones, man. 
not just when we're singing, we're surrounded by everybody, but when the chips fall badly, when things are difficult, or when the Lord is asking us to take some huge risk. Do you really believe he is good? You go, yeah, absolutely. I know the correct theological answer. Yes, the Lord is good. If I say God's evil, I think they kick me out of church. Um, not really. You're welcome here, right? But we need to learn. Do you know the Lord is good even when he will not rubber stamp your agenda or mine? Because what he does is good for his purpose, and he is sovereign. And so what gets in the way of our obedience is then first this subtle suspicion, but then a fear that leads to excuses. And I think that's exactly what we've seen in the life of Moses. You know the scripture, right? Perfect love, scripture says what? Drives out fear. Question, is there any lack in the love of God for his children? Never has been. Never will be. So I don't think the problem is with his end or his goodness or his plan or his purpose. It's always entirely with mine, and yet I fear a lot because I'm not yet perfected in fear, as the passage will go on to say. But that's the Lord's desire, that we see him as eminently good and sovereign in what he does. Moses, in his list of excuses, reveals his fear up to this point. But now, you guys, in chapter 7 and going forward, now, by and large, Moses is done with those. Yes, he'll have brief failings. He's still human. But he is marked by boldness. He is marked by strong obedience. You could even call his witness one of fearlessness at this point. And what then is the source of this obedience? It's right there, and I've mentioned it. It's been there all along. But apparently Moses has now finally begun to hear it. It is the very character of God which is the source of joyful obedience. Many times you will question God and so will I. Lord, really you hardened Pharaoh's heart and then held him accountable for it? I just, I can't wrap my brain around how all of that is fair. God, you might say. But at the end of the day, will you still see, you know what, you're wise. Oh, that, oh yeah, that's right, you told me. Your ways are higher than my ways, so I guess I shouldn't get everything you do. You are perfect in your wisdom, and so I will trust you, God. Help me, because I know you're good. I know you're so perfectly good. That is the source of joyful, willing, abandoned, reckless obedience, isn't it? The son or daughter of the Most High God who knows him as eminently good. Huh. That's a... That's a powerful force. Notice so many times, I'll just give you the most recent time that the obedience of Moses, God purposely put it in the context of his own character. You want to see it? 629, you just look up a couple verses. 28, now it came about on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, now 29, 629, that the Lord spoke to Moses, I am Yahweh. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, blah, blah, blah. Did you catch what was not necessary in that passage? <laughs> Did the Lord need to start with, I am Yahweh? I kind of figured that's who you are. <laughs> no. The whole point of why it's there is it is the very reason for his obedience. It is the ground of his confidence. It is the character of Yahweh himself. And what is that character? Guys, we won't have time, but here's your homework assignment for today. If anything I say today is worth you spending some more time this week meditating on, chewing on, and being nourished by, please, oh, please take this homework assignment. Exodus 6, verses 2 through 8. Brian did a great job with it. 
Okay, I think I'm done commending you, okay? But I love you, brother. Um, sorry, that just happened all these times. He did a great job with it, but here's your added homework assignment. Go back through there and just pick through the phrases and see, you, see if you can find how many times God reveals to Moses that he is sovereign just in those seven verses. Just see how many you find. You'll be shocked. And go through those seven verses and see how many times God reveals to Moses that he is good. You'll be shocked in those seven verses. That, that, that's, a, that's one of the many mountain peaks in all of the revelation of Scripture in the Old Testament about the beauty of the character of God. So he told him right up front, right after his excuses, right after his partial obedience, Moses is slowly learning. He's starting to hear it. I'm sovereign and I'm good. All you need to do is just obey. I've got the rest of this. May the Lord feed you, nurture you, encourage you. May you find in your very spirit the source of glad obedience. Yahweh's goodness leads to glad obedience. Moses then is now taking but the very first steps in this marathon journey with the Lord. This, you guys, this is why we read our Bibles and spend time with the Lord. Not so that we can accumulate data, less so that we can check a box, but we come to the living word so that we can meet the living word. And there, face to face, beholding as in a mirror, we are transformed from glory to glory, Paul says, right? There, seeing him in his sovereign goodness, he changes us and we think, oh, Lord God, why would I want to do anything but recklessly obey you with all of my being? Why do I do anything else? That's why we spend time with the Lord. It was Mueller, the man who was known for such profound faith and who supported the orphanage with thousands of orphans completely by faith, who said, every day I read my Bible until one thing happens, until I find myself satisfied in the Lord Jesus. Then I'm done with my quiet time. I mean, he didn't say exactly those words, but that's what he meant. We come to taste and see that the Lord is good. We come to eat and be nourished on him. And they're satisfied in him, and yet at the same time, ironically, also hungry for more of him and him alone, knowing now that the world will never satisfy. There we find a joyful and thrilling freedom in reckless abandon to obedience. Moses is now taking his first steps in that marathon journey and beginning to obey. I have to believe, because this is what the Lord has revealed, because this is what I think is emphasized, that behind it, the text doesn't say it outright, but I think there's a spiritual dynamic at work that Moses, through all of this repeated speaking to him by the Lord, is beginning to taste and beginning to see. I know he's beginning to trust. One day, one day, Moses will be so enamored of the presence of God that he will actually say to the Lord, you know what? Send us back to Egypt. Leave me in slavery rather than take your presence away from me. You can undo this entire thing and send me back, but do not send us up to this milk and honey land if you're not there. Don't want any of it if we don't have you. That's how in love with Yahweh he will be as he continues to grow. 
think of all that Moses would have missed. Think about it. He would have missed this if he wouldn't have tasted and seen that God was sovereign and good. What about you? What about me? Man, that's worth thinking about, right? Obedience can be hard. We read Peter a few months ago, and he says, return a blessing when you are insulted. And I'm like, I, I, whoo, look at the time. I got things to do. I'm not sure that that's my plan. But he says, but those are those who are blessed. What might you and I miss out on if we do other than abandoned obedience, right? That's what we want. Don't miss out, friends. I don't want you to miss out. The Lord doesn't want you to miss out. God help us to not miss out. Find the source then of glad obedience. Secondly, second this morning, we take away, let all the glory be the Lord's. Let all the glory be the Lord's. I want you to notice that um, Aaron will, will be the one to do this sign, right? Did you catch it? Right? Prince of Egypt, totally wrong. Okay, I'll probably only say that. I don't know how many more times. Um, right? But right, we're image people. So the picture sticks in our brain. The word sometimes we forget. But let's be word people. Um, fun movie, by the way, but worth critiquing. Aaron does the miracle, right? Aaron does the miracle. But did you notice something? Aaron is not independent in doing this sign, in, in doing this wonder. Look again, verse 8. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Work a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and throw it down. All right? So, so how does this, this work? They're going to be there having an interview, and Pharaoh is going to say something. And then at that point, what's supposed to happen? You would think that Aaron would go, this is it. Here we go, you know. That's not what God said. God said to Moses, when that happens, Moses is going to go, that was it. And then Aaron can do his thing, right? And, and what's crazy about it is Aaron is standing right there, right? Look at verse 8. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. And then he said, Moses, when Pharaoh does this, you tell him that. And Aaron's like, wait, but I already, I already know what's going to happen. I think I can do it. What, what in the world is going on here? Why not just tell Aaron, when Pharaoh does this, then Aaron, you do that. Answer, Yahweh is demonstrating his authority of the situation. And he's having them do it, not only to, to demonstrate their obedience, but also to do it in such a way that demonstrates his authority. Drop back just a few verses to the beginning of chapter 7, and it, it's this chapter, and it tells us exactly what's going on, right? There it is. 7-1, then the Lord said to Moses, see, I make you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh. There you go. God says, this is how we're going to do it. I'm just going to set up a little hierarchy. So Pharaoh, who thinks he's got God, gets the picture, Moses, that you are his equal. He gets the picture that he's dealing with a greater God. You will not act on your authority. I will speak to you, Moses. You will speak to your prophet. Prophet, you will do what I say, and my glory will be seen. This is God's perfect economy. 
Yahweh delegates, delegates his authority, and, and Moses and Aaron walk in it. The only authority that there is on the face of the earth is the Lord's authority, and yet it is often corrupted, isn't it? It's the great story of the centurion in Luke 7 who gets it, right? Who Jesus commends the man under authority sees the authority of Jesus and he sees that Jesus has the power of the one true God in heaven. And why did this Gentile uh, soldier who served the pagan rulers and their gods, why did he get it? Because he was a man under authority. And he said, I see you and I get it. You're a man under authority and so you wield all authority, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I ain't seen anybody that smart in all of the nation of Israel. And so all of Egypt, Pharaoh included in his court, are to look on Moses and Aaron and get, you guys are under authority. You clearly have authority, but it's clear you're under authority. Friend, if you are going to wield any authority or influence that's going to matter, then you best be under authority. And I best be under authority. Husbands, parents, leaders, bosses, coaches, wherever you are, man, we need to be under authority and let the glory be the Lord's. What is done here through Moses and Aaron will speak of Yahweh, not of them. No one will come and worship Moses and Aaron ever in the midst of this. Even the Egyptians who serve pagan gods don't come and fall down to them, right? Also, I want you to notice another way that all the glory is really the Lord's is that Moses and Aaron don't have the full script. You're like, yeah, they do because Yahweh told them what was going to happen. Well, he told them a couple of things, but as best as we can tell, there's some stuff that happened that they probably didn't even know about because they didn't have to. Yahweh just gave them what they needed to know encouraged them to obey, and then he did the work. Take a look here at uh, verse 11. Pharaoh, Pharaoh then also called for the wise men and the sorcerers, and they also, the magicians of Egypt, they did the same with their secret arts. Did uh, Moses and Aaron know that that was going to go down? Not so far as we know, right? Did they know that... Um, Verse 12, each one threw down his staff and they turned into serpents. Did Moses and Aaron know that was going to happen? By the way, the Lord is gracious enough to give us enough information and more than anything to give us enough about his character, to give us confidence to do his will with full obedience. But that doesn't mean that once in a while he might not withhold some surprises for, from us to keep us humble. Now, I have no idea how Aaron felt about throwing that rod down. Like, yeah, check out that snake. I did that. Which sounds really cool until he's turning tail when like two or three or I don't know how many others are coming his way, right? Whoa, Yahweh didn't mention this. By the way, this is a good point to just uh, make this comment and ask this question. What in the world is going on here? Is this just a good parlor trick? Or is this demonic power? Answer, I think it I honestly could be either one. And I'm not convinced that you, I'm not convinced that we know that we know necessarily that, it, that it's one or the other. 
Uh, I will just say this. It is well known, not by me, but by people who study this, because nearly every commentator I read mentioned this. It's well known that there were sna uh, snake handlers in the uh, ancient Mediterranean who had learned the trick where you could pinch the nerve right below the head of a snake particularly hard, and that pressure would affect that nerve, and the snake would go completely rigid and look like a stick. And you throw him to the ground, whack, and the shock wakes him up, and he's reinvigorated. Maybe they did that. I don't know. But I will also mention that what we have here is a cosmic battle. We have a spiritual battle going on here. Frankfurt, who was a, um, a historian of ancient Near Eastern studies in the middle of last century, uncovered the ascension hymn for the pharaohs in Egypt. When Pharaoh came to power, it was customary then that he would say this, uh, you just listen and you tell me if you think uh, this is what selling your soul to the devil sounds like. Oh, great one, oh, magician, Pharaoh would say. Oh, fiery snake, let there be terror of me like the terror of thee. Let there be fear of me like the fear of thee. Let there be awe of me like the awe of thee. Let me rule a leader of the living. Let me be powerful, a leader of spirits. Let me have your power and your glory and rule over people in fear. That's what the Pharaoh would say when he would come to power. We already know there's false gods. We already know that there is this commitment to these other spiritual powers. Would it be any surprise that potentially within Pharaoh's court there was actually demonic power at work? I don't think it's much of a stretch at all. You can decide for yourself uh, in the course of going through the wonders, at least in so long as the magicians can keep up. But you can decide for yourself. Is it that Yahweh will embarrass Pharaoh and his magicians because their tricks just can't keep up after a while? Or is it that Yahweh will embarrass the magicians, uh, Pharaoh and his magicians, because he overthrows the power of their gods? Either way, it's pretty clear. Yahweh's going to embarrass them. Moses and Aaron, though, didn't at this point know what was going to happen. And they now have multiple snakes to deal with. So how did they deal with it? In the Hebrew, it says that Aaron uh, grabbed a shovel, uh, right? No, not really. They didn't have to do anything because God already had it. Verse 12, right? For each one threw down a staff and they turned into serpents, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. So the Lord kind of already had that figured out. He didn't need to tell them any more information. Yahweh just did it. By the way, did you know, like, shortly after the big contest, after they, they hit the shower, um, Aaron was interviewed in the locker room. Did you guys know that? Um, and they came, and they stuck the mic in front of him, and they're like, Aaron, man, that was a great game out there today. You left it all out on the court. How did you do it? He's like, well, you know, I just, I, you know, I just kind of, that was, I mean, that was, that was what I did. How about that thing where you made, like, your snake eat the other snakes? How would you do that? Well, that part, that's, that one I, uh, that, uh, yeah. It just happened, right? I mean, they didn't interview Aaron 
And he didn't tell them, like, I went through all this stuff. By the way, there's a contrast here because the magicians with their secret arts are going through their secretive little special things that they do, right? Either demonic, overtly evil, or just really good tricks, one or the other. Let the glory be all the Lord's. That's where Moses and Aaron stand, right? They're in the court. It's just so obvious that, that Aaron didn't do all this work to make it work. Moses didn't do all this work. How about you and me? Do we feel like um, we have to be in control of every situation? Yeah, none of you. Definitely not me. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, right? Zechariah. That verse could refer to this scene, really, because of all the little um, details that evidence that God is the one sovereignly leading all of this. Those are words, not by, by might, but by my spirit. Those are words that, that draw out our dependence. Yes, Lord, I want more of that. Not what, not what my hand can do, but, but, but what your power can do. I want more of that. Do you say that? Do you feel that? Do you resonate with that? I bet you do. But, but how about when it comes to your kids, parents? Sometimes I think, yeah, I, I kind of want your work in their lives, but I just want to win this one. Can I just win this one, and then you can totally be in charge? Man, I think the Lord has most glorified himself in, in our lives and certainly to me in the times that I didn't know what to do, in the times I didn't have a plan with our kids, in times it was just so obvious to just say, Lord, would you do it? Because I can't. He's like, I've been waiting for this moment. How about in sharing the gospel? How often have I waited for the right moment when they ask the right question? And I think I had a really good quiet time this morning, and I think I've got a four-point outline. I know just what I'm going to say. You know, the times when the Lord most surprises me is when I'm most aware that I'm not ready. And I'm most dependent and just going, Spirit, would you use me today? I mean, I'm driving and I'm thinking, oh, man, what am I going to be doing in 10 minutes? I'm going to see that person, be talking to them. Oh, Lord, help me. Is there some way you could use me? I feel really terrible today. It is a miserable day and I'm struggling. And I'm pretty sure there's no way you could use a dude like me. But if there would be anything that could happen that I could open my mouth and mention your name and speak of your goodness, would you do it? An hour and a half later, I'm driving back going, Lord, I can't believe you did it. That was so cool. Where's that four-point outline? I'm going to use that next time. Christian, is your life spirit-led? Is my life spirit-led? Let all the glory be the Lord's. How I love it when I am following and He is leading. You've had those seasons, you've had those days, you've known those times when you're like, I really am so just along for the ride. I am just hanging on. I'm just clinging to him. But man, I love it. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Let all the glory be the Lord's. And how I regret it when I look back and I see, yeah, all the glory was mine. 
My power was at work, my wisdom, my ideas, my plans. Worked just like I wanted. That was a bummer. That was unsatisfying. The Lord will have all the glory. Praise be to God. So let's have all the joy. <laughs> let's have all the thrill and the adventure and the risk and the satisfaction at seeing him glorify himself. Let all the glory be the Lord's. Third and finally, this morning, courage is knowing that Yahweh is never thwarted. Courage is knowing that Yahweh is never thwarted. Three kind of stages or three, I don't know, three somethings I'll have you look at. First, notice uh, it looks like there's uh, some failure here from Moses and Aaron uh, viewed from the horizontal level, viewed from human eyes. Failure or at least what looks like failure. Um, and yet, okay, yes, first the failure. As I mentioned before in verse uh, 11, the end of the verse, the magicians of Egypt did the same. Okay, Lord, I thought you said that Pharaoh would ask and we would do this and this would be the proof. But I did one and they did like three or however many. I'm not sure the proof is working, Lord. And the proof that the proof isn't working is there in verse 13. Yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he did not listen to them. Just pause in that moment and consider how many times in your life you've been right in the middle of Exodus 7.13, two-thirds of the way through the verse, you know. And it's like, this is exactly not what was supposed to happen. Now, is that a true statement? No, because you don't know. God knows. And that's what we're going to get to. But at this point, it sure feels like this is exactly not what's supposed to happen. The snake thing is not going our way, and definitely the Pharaoh thing is not going our way. But Yahweh knew. He had planned for it, and he was sovereign. Did you catch this at the beginning of verse 9? Did you catch what really leads off this entire uh, confrontation? It's the fact that God knows everything. Did you catch it that way? Verse 9. When Pharaoh speaks to you saying, do a wonder. Well, how does Yahweh know? <laughs> right? That's the question. Yahweh already knows exactly what's going to happen. Go and obey me. And by the way, when you go, this is exactly what will happen. So you think if maybe Yahweh kind of knew that Pharaoh would ask this question, that maybe he knows everything that's going to happen. At the burning bush when Yahweh told Moses to take up the staff, throw it down, and do the snake, you think, yeah, yeah, that's old news. No, it's not. What did Yahweh say that the purpose of that sign would be? Do you remember? It was the sign performed for the people so that they would believe. That's what it says in chapters 3 and 4 anyway. Here he says, now go do it for Pharaoh when he says he wants you to do a wonder to prove yourself. Oh, okay, we're going to do that one again. Cool. I love that one. But the Lord already knows exactly. So yeah, failure on a horizontal level, but vertically speaking, God has said, um, this is exactly to plan. This is script. And, and the little phrase that nails it, notice how the whole episode ends, 13. Pharaoh's heart was hardened, 
looks like failure. He did not listen to them, looks like failure. But what's the last phrase? Just as the Lord had said. <laughs> that is not a small phrase. It's not a throwaway. Catch the fact that Moses and Aaron now did just as the Lord commanded. We talked about that, right? But guess what? Pharaoh did just as the Lord had commanded. He doesn't know it. His magicians don't know it. The author of Scripture does. The Spirit of God does. You and I who have the privilege of having, having heaven's view on this event, we know it and we see it. You know what courage is? Courage is knowing that Yahweh is never thwarted. Who is like you, O oh Lord? Moses and Aaron could stand there and they say, you know, this, total, this whole thing totally isn't working. But, but, it, but it's exactly what you said it was going to work like, right? Wow, Lord, who is like you? Because this is exactly what you planned to do all along. Everything's happening just like you said. I want you, I want you then to notice three words that really uh, make this clear. In verse 9, I, I keep reading it this way. Pharaoh speaks to you saying, uh, do a wonder, uh, because that's the same Hebrew word translated that way elsewhere, do a wonder. And then 13, it says, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen, right? So those seem like failure, right? Would you just drop back a few verses to uh, verse 3 of chapter 7, and let's read that together and see if any of this sounds familiar but I will harden Pharaoh's heart that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt when Pharaoh does not listen to you. So just a few verses right before this passage, we have all three of those things. And so all three of those things are exactly what happens. Now, if you're Pharaoh, I'm oh, sorry, if you're Moses and Aaron and you can remember those words, you might just remember what immediately comes next. Go back to verse 4. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my hosts, my people, the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt by great judgments. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. What follows? The wonders, the hard heart, and the not listening? Answer, my hosts, my people, my hand, and Egypt will know. What follows on those three things? Yahweh's power, Yahweh's people, and Yahweh's glory. And all of that is exactly what he said would happen, right? I will harden his heart to multiply my wonders. Psalm 33, 11. The plans of the Lord stand forever, the purpose of his heart from generation to generation. Ephesians 1.11, he works all things after the counsel of his will. Psalm 76.10, surely the wrath of man shall praise you. What this passage is, it's the sovereign good Yahweh at work. Just like he said he was going to be back in chapter 6, now he's doing it. I'll close with this. What is, what is the funnest part of the entire episode this morning? You guys, you guys liked the locker room interview, didn't you? Okay. 
no, seriously, what is the funnest part of this whole episode? You know what it is, right? It's when Aaron's snake eats the other snakes. You're like, yes, that is the coolest. Each one threw down his staff. They turned into serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. You know what's going on here? Is, is Pharaoh is being publicly, systematically humiliated. He's being dressed down bit by bit. And who is it that has the power to overthrow, overthrow Pharaoh and his magicians and all of his deities? There is only one who is like you, O Lord. Here, that snake swallowing up the other snakes is a picture of what Yahweh is going to do for the next several chapters. There's one other swallowing, by the way, in the book of Exodus. Would you be surprised, this being right at the very beginning of the Ten Wonders, would you be surprised that the other swallowing happens right at the end of the Ten Wonders? I'll leave it for you. See if you can find it, if you think about it. I bet you can, but it's fun. But all of it is a picture of the sovereign good Yahweh showing where he stands with regard to these so-called gods. All of this points to the eternal work of the one who is sovereign good. He will, as Paul writes in Corinthians, one day swallow up death in victory, brother or sister in Christ. For those who know Christ, for you, one day he will swallow up all sin and swallow up all shame. He will swallow up all fears and all foolishness along with all pride and hate and guilt, bitterness and unforgiveness, fear and worry and calamity. He will swallow it up one day in victory. What a good and a sovereign God we have. Stand with me. Let's close in prayer. Gracious Lord, our God, we thank you this morning for giving us courage in who you are. Lord, would you help us this week to see you for your goodness, to see you for your power, and not think that it is, it is ours to win every battle. Would you grant us faithfulness and grant us courage because you are the one who fights. You are the one working for your glory. You are the one overthrowing hearts and wooing and drawing, convicting of sin, lavishing your love, drawing sinners to yourself, and writing a story that will bring you glory for all the ages. So, Lord, let us walk with that confidence, knowing your plan is never thwarted. And help us, Lord, have, have huge, generous spirits, great and profound strength and confidence and deep love in all that we do. And, Lord, let us be wholly, recklessly abandoned to obey you in all that we do. We love you for it. We thank you for showing us yourself today. All for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.